Are you ready? Hey everybody! Hey folks! Hello everybody! People in the back! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're, we're gonna get started. <laughs> Welcome to the Interloop Radio. I'm Rachel Koontz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. The Interloop Radio is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and many other streaming sites. And if there's somewhere you'd like to hear the Interloop where it isn't currently available, shoot us an email at theinterlooplit at gmail.com. On today's episode, we have an exciting hour of local literature planned for you. As always. <laughs> but first, for those of you who don't know, The Inner Loop is a literary reading series for writers in the D.C. area to come and read their own work each month. Writers' experience varies from the absolute beginner to Pulitzer Prize winners, and they range in genre from poetry to fiction to nonfiction. And on The Inner Loop Radio, we like to give our listeners a sampling of some of the authors who read at our events, as well as going further in-depth on the writing experience and discussing relevant topics to the writing life. Last month, we talked about how to build a longer work or a collection of works. So on today's episode, we'd like to discuss shorter works. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's also apropos of April because it's our fourth anniversary. And every year we throw a party featuring the year's writers reading two-minute flash readings. And not only that, it's National Poetry Month and really isn't the poem the shortest form of writing there is? Uh, it depends on the poem. I, I mean, guess there's <laughs> epic poetry. <laughs> Absolutely. But usually the poem lends itself to being short. Sure. I think it was William Faulkner who said, maybe every novelist wants to write poetry first, uh, finds that he can't, and then tries the short story, which is the most demanding form f after poetry. And failing at that, only then does he take up novel writing. And I've always connected with that. Yeah, I, know, it's I so knew I loved that man. <laughs> <laughs> People are always like, who's your favorite author? I'm like, uh, William Faulkner. I, I always say William Faulkner, too. I had no idea we had this in common. And it sounds, I'm like, I'm not trying to sound pretentious. So or pretentious. I don't come like, I, that was one of those, like, in high school when I first read, you know, Absalom or Sound of the Fury. It was like, oh, my God. Holy whole shit. new world. Yeah. Just amazing. And I'm from the South, so, you know. So it really resonates just, But uh, His description. That Southern just... Gothic thing, yeah. But oh, that's really funny. Maybe uh, maybe that's my problem. Maybe I need to give up on poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and go to the short story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like this quote because I'm a short story writer. You so are. At least I'm, like, right there in the middle. No, I, I think novelists are amazing as, uh, you For know. For sure. Like Proust. So I feel like the, the, the short work... Um, to me is like the antithesis of like the Proustian flow, you know, like, you know, in Swan's way, he just kind of like uses words to, to float you along and to paint this picture and then this picture. And it's really about um, taking you like on a boat ride where you're just on that journey with this yeah. way and that. And it's very, there's a lot of words. There are a lot of words. <laughs> well, you know, and it sets up a different relationship between the author or the writer and their readers too you know so 
you kind of sign a pact in the beginning of a book or a novel mm. or a longer piece. Totally. And you're like, all right, I'm, I'm with committed. you. We're going on. We're, we're doing this. Yeah. Um, whereas, especially these days, we've become so accustomed to just like getting a tidbit here, a tidbit Short there. Short attention span. Sure. And 140 whatever characters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, though, that writers too, like everyone else, you know, because we have we have to market ourselves. Too. Absolutely, <laughs> have kind it's of so much shifted. easier to publish a poem or a short little flash something. I don't I don't know that it's easier to publish anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm always so envious of poets because they have like a thousand poems that they can send out, and yeah. I have like my three stories that I like hold close like to my close. heart and. <laughs> You know what I've found? I've uh, a fun kind of shorter form that I've been working with a bit. Uh, there's a, a, f- a colleague and friend of mine who is a, a really brilliant photojournalist and, and documentarian. documentarian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we've worked on a couple of projects together and he's asked me to do the writing for the pieces. So we turn them into these kind of photo essays. Mm, I love it. Um, and often I write a longer piece to go along with it, or there's some audio aspect to it. Um, but for some of the publications, the images are the focal point, and then I get to do these kind of little snippets of like, okay, let me give you just a tad bit more here than mm. the image is giving you, That's and tell the story in a different way. Yeah, because way. maybe the photo is actually the shortest form oh. of all. Getting deep over here. <laughs> But yeah, that's been a fun exercise in kind of trying to pull out. Recharacterize even. You could totally recharacterize the image. Absolutely. Because here's the first thing that comes to mind when you see this image. And if I just throw a couple sentences out there, whoa, it just took you to a different place. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. So that's that's been a, a joy. And that's kind of like the magic of the shorter piece because I think it really allows the reader or audience member to put forth as much effort as the writer is putting sure. forth like they can fill in a lot of the blanks like the picture you know you look at a picture and you have your own set of associations you have your own set of um your own perspective that you look at the picture through and i think that that works similarly with really short works if it you know resonates with you emotionally um you know it could take you back to your childhood and it could make you think of this love or that right. love like it it allows you to apply that to your own experience and you fill in the you blanks fill in with the your story sure we'll have um kathy on later and right. she's i've i think a master at that those kind of little things that just really bring you into the scene but then allow you to drift at the same time and so you're you're creating a novel almost out of this little paragraph even right oh man and and the short work i don't know in terms of building it it's like so i almost said so much work the it, short work is so much work. I mean, it, it kind of is, though. I think back, I think we did this, um, and it's an exercise I return to a lot and tell mm. people to. Um, but we did it, and I, I believe it was a class that we were both in. Joanne's but, um, class? Yeah. I was totally thinking of that class. The Joanne so, Beard. Yes, we started with um, an ordinary object that we saw. Oh, yes. Or no, it was. I'm sorry, it was an unordinary object, something that stood out in our ordinary day. Right. And had to first write 800 words. And then cut it down to 500 oh, yeah, and then cut it down exercise. to 200 and but that was a tr- 
it was a great exercise for figuring out what exactly are those essential elements that are still going to tell the story here that I'm trying to tell. Right. And so that's something that I still practice totally. all the time. And I actually, speaking of um, class, I wrote a profile on Nicole Dennis-Ben, who's oh, been getting lots of yes. attention for her novel, Here Comes the Sun. Um, well, I went and interviewed her. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I had three hours of tape or something. Oh I God, had an insane <laughs> amount. Going through tape is the tape. worst. <laughs> it was the worst. And I so I transcribed all of it, which wow. was ridiculous. I don't know why I did that. This, this was for a project that was literally, I think the it was three pages. Yeah. Three double spaced <laughs> pages. And I transcribed three hours of interview. But it's and then, beautiful yeah. when you're like listening to the conversation. You're I like, know. Oh, yeah. The, the transcribe. It was amazing what just the transcribing did. Yes. Even though I was there and I was taking notes. And it I helps was you listening. see the story in a whole different way. It was amazing. And I and I um, I think I wrote a six page uh, profile and I had to cut it down to the three pages Um, and that took that was like really I really had to focus on one thing about her life um, because she's has so many amazing stories and she has so many issues that she um, lives in her life right Um, but I had to focus on just one because I had to do it in three pages but it was all the better for that because then the profile was not just trying to broadly her life yeah this is this person Nicole's entire life Mm -hmm. yeah it was uh, about one specific aspect of her life and I just got in, got out. And it was like one of the best things I've ever written. Well, and because that's that's what we crave, right? That's what we long for. It's like, what are those essential elements that that make us human that we can connect with other people on? And then I know for me, when I read pieces like that, mm. I then want to know more about the person. Absolutely. It exactly. has that effect. Or I want to know more about the project they're working on or whatever, something that was mentioned in there. And I go and then find out out. Mm -hmm. yeah and you want more right which takes us all the way back around to our events it does (laughs) see how i did that (laughs) we're always telling our writers like it's not the idea is not to tell a whole story it's to um give give the audience a taste so that they want more and they seek you out in the end exactly (laughs) well you know well there you go maybe we should leave you here (laughs) (laughs) agreed um so stay tuned for up next we're gonna delve a little bit deeper into flash readings both fiction nonfiction, and poetry um and we're gonna offer up some readings from our events as well as interviews with interloop alum yep so stay tuned discussing the art of shorter works so let's talk flash fiction and nonfiction. so as we mentioned earlier every year we invite our interloop veterans from the past year to read flash pieces at our anniversary party our five minute slots at our normal readings can be a challenge for fiction and nonfiction writers Psst, they're always complaining <laughs> 
<laughs> but we always say it's important for writers to be able to adapt their work into specific limits. And that's even more true for our two-minute readings. Although even at our regular readings, sometimes the writers surprise us and fit like several pieces yeah. into that five-minute limit. You know, it's funny too. I feel like it's almost easier for them to do the two minutes because they... Yeah. yeah. They're not trying to fit a whole story right, in. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, for sure. As we've been discussing, the results of that discipline, that culling of words really pays off. So why don't we let the writers show us how it's done? Just to warn you that the audio quality from our events varies. So sometimes you might hear dishes clanking or sounds from the city, but we think that gives you an idea of the atmosphere. Um. First story is called Little Gray Moon. He was a little gray moon, small enough to be held in the palm of one's hand, but a moon is too heavy for that. He would center his orbit on the object of his attention. He orbited Nancy most of all. That's how she knew the moon was in love with her. She imagined that her head was a planet. She worried which of the craters in the moon's chalky skin counted as eyes. But for all the attention he gave her, he would tolerate none in return. Even a glance, which for Nancy was hard to avoid with the little gray moon always passing in front of her face, sent the poor fellow skittering away. He would find some object, a lamp perhaps, and revolve around it, casting the circle of his shadow across the paisley papered walls of Nancy's living room. She followed his shadow, turning in place until the dizziness overwhelmed her. She flopped back onto the carpet and watched the ceiling seem to spin, wondering if that was how the little gray moon felt all the time, and realizing that while it was very much like love, it was something altogether different. 12.13 a.m. For me, dreaming has become a platform to experience impossible realities over and over, replaying the outcomes with different variables. The outcome never changes from real life. The dead ones are still dead. The mistakes, still mistakes. But the we there is always a little different. I was just in a dream replaying something from my early childhood, something I'm not even sure ever happened, a restaurant scene with my mother right before I was born. I was there in theory, I guess, and so I was able to be there in dream, but the chronology kept skipping like it does in dreams, and now I wasn't watching my pregnant mother, but a pregnant me at the table, talking about how I felt. And my body in the dream knows the outcome, or the impossibility of it. My body has never known pregnancy, and so the dream isn't going to end right. I know this, in the dream, so I start to look around. Because this is my other trick. I look for the unfamiliar parts, or the slightly off parts. I let the people around me keep talking. I only have a moment before they stop and notice me not playing along. And that's when I felt it. I could feel his eyes on me. One of these things isn't like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. I saw him hiding behind his menu. I smirked, now in on the secret, and walked right up to him. The grandfather I did not get the chance to know. I've now known him more in my dreams than I ever did in life. This silly peekaboo game, the one from when I was three, the only real, although maybe not real, memory I have of him paired with me as a grown woman. I saw you there, I say. I hug him and he smirks. I found him. This is our game. Time is speeding up, only another moment before the dream catches up, or memory, or brainwaves figure out that I know that my brain knows that I'm dreaming and it's time to wake up. Smile for a picture, someone says. It's your birthday. 
And in that moment, I smiled and reached down to my non-existent belly, my first memories and future hopes and subsequent fears all coming in at the same moment. And I know that no picture of this moment actually exists and can't exist, and it's all about to fall apart. No, I shout, turning back to him, reaching out to shield us from the photo ending. The camera flashes and I wake off my pillow gasping. Waking up, I know I've had five of those back to back. There was one about being upside down in the snow, trying to find my way to the surface before I drowned, as if in water. One has a boyfriend that perpetually blends with a husband on that side of sleep, and one is just a hall of mirrors of scenes from my life that are the most traumatic, that play over and over and over, shaping me daily in this pointless kind of movie loop with different choices but exactly the same outcome. It's annoying, really, as it's, it's as if to say, you know why you are this way, right? Of course I know. That's why I don't like to go to sleep. Um, so this is called uh, My Monsters. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Great. You see me in the street, walking past. I see you see me. Give me a three-second glance, maybe less. What do you see? A dude. White skin. Cargo shorts, if it's hot. Secondhand shoes. But did you see my monsters? I've got a lot of them, like a thousand, a thousand little monsters living in me. Some of them are wild, but I have gentle monsters too. A monster that loves sunsets and art and color. Another monster that wants to touch all the paintings in the museums, to press his sticky thumbs into the pastel oils, to leave his print. I got a sensitive monster, and a monster that's always gawking at the pretty monsters going by, getting too touchy with his eyes. And I got a growing gang of fierce-ass girl monsters, telling my sexist monsters to sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> I got a monster that loves to swim in my liver water, drunk on natty bow and bile, wearing sunglasses even though it's dark as hell in there. I got some bougie ones too. They're dressed in seersucker and fedoras, snacking on blood cells, slinging silk hammocks from my ribs. I feed my monsters. Sunlight, literature, Cool Ranch Dorito crumbs, some feed themselves. I got this Epicurean monster who sloshes all day long in that half-liquid aftermath of my meals using the sediment load to make pizza dough, stomach acid for marinara. I try to starve some monsters, but you have to know they're living inside you to evict them. I got a monster in me that's racist as hell. Gets me thinking in tribes. I got monsters that remind me where I come from. They read me the long script of my genes. One tells me I come from Louisiana settlers, tells me about my manifest destiny, tells me my father's mother's father's mother's uncles were Confederates. Another monster reminds me I almost shouldn't be here, that my mother's father's father's sisters were gassed in the showers in a death camp. I have a monster mixing concrete over my heart, another monster breaking that shit up with a jackhammer. I have a monster that lives in my chest. He pushes outward on it, like he's trying to make me fall forward trying to tell me I'm in love with you, with everyone. Sometimes my monsters harmonize. They work in chorus. The music gurgles up from my stomach bag. Sometimes they fight. I can't confirm it, but I think there are dead monsters in me, little corpses of myself floating in the flotsam. I wish you could see all my monsters. I'll try to be better at showing you if you only look for longer than three seconds. But you know I have a monster that sees you too in three seconds or less, and that's it.
That was Zach Powers reading Little Grey Moon from his collection of stories entitled Gravity Changes, published by BOA Editions. Michelle Juno reading from her memoir entitled Notes from My Phone, published by Mason Jar Press. And Sam Nelson reading his story entitled My Monsters. Now, joining us on the show to discuss the art of flash nonfiction and to read us a few of her pieces is our dear friend and Interloop alumna, Kathy Curto. Welcome, Kathy. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. Good to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's As I said, it's going to be about 78 in New York today, so after a long winter, this is very nice. It is fantastic when spring finally arrives. Yeah, absolutely. So Kathy is going to read a few of her flash nonfiction pieces for mm-hmm. us. Um, do you want to kick us off with a reading, Kathy? Sure, sure. Uh, so actually, we'll start off with, I'm, I'm going to read two pieces today, one a little shorter than the other. Um, and both are uh, actually part of my manuscript. So, um, and this one was in a, this one was actually in Barrel House Magazine on the blog. Oh, and nice. it's part of a, um, it's part of a compilation that was done actually right after uh, Prince's death. So it's called um, mm. Dig If You Will, Remembering Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is called, um, so this was, it was really very cool to be part of this um, collection. This was called, this is called, um, 1784, and it goes like this. I'm in Deer Hollow Park, the playground where little kids don't play anymore, and according to my mother, troublemakers go. When Dub's Cry is on my new Walkman, and I'm spooked because I've already played it seven times over and over, and now pressing play for the eighth time, which makes me think I might be going crazy. It's 1984, and I'm 17. I'm sitting on a black rubber swing, swaying. It's just before dark. No one else is here in the park, and I pray to the gods of the confused, hungry teenage souls that someone is watching me. How is it that I want to be all alone, but at the same time looked at, glanced over, and watched? I don't know how that happens, but I know I want both. Prince's smooth voice moves through me, then up, in, out, and around. I regret sharpening, burning, and applying the brown eyeliner to both the inside and outside of my eyelids this morning when I put on my makeup. I should have used black. There's a huge difference between the brown and the black, and even though I wasn't ready for the black this morning, I'm ready now. (laughs) So that's the first one. Um, I love that. It's such a perfect picture of adolescence. (laughs) Absolutely, that, there's a huge difference. Don't you think there's a huge difference there's between brown and black? Huge difference. Brown is for the everyday. <laughs> you know? And Kathy, I always, I think we we uh, connected first on a piece that you had written about Bruce Springsteen. So I always yes. love hearing your your the music musical. pieces. Yeah. Yes, yes, and I love actually, and that's funny, Courtney, because I I um I can tell you that this is something I'm I'm scratching into even more and more now, especially since you know since graduate school for sure I think it's a lot of it is about the manuscript and about the little um you know the little things that kind of keep memory alive and for me music Mm -hmm. and smell are huge um yeah so I do I do I've been writing about music a lot lately awesome keep it up (laughs) (laughs) so you have another piece as well right I do I have another piece it's this one's a little bit longer again it's also part of the manuscript and it it um I'm I'm a little bit older in this piece um, 
And, yeah, I'm just going to take you right into it. I mean, there's some stuff that, you know, might it might be helpful to have context, but who cares? We're just going to dive right in. I like that. Um, <laughs> so this is called, um, this is towards the end. It's actually one of the last chapters of my manuscript, and it's called Closing Time. Uh, all right, here goes. I work at the car wash every day except Sunday. Get in at 8 in the morning and leave at 5.30. I let the last car go through at 5 because by the time I count my cash box and record the day's numbers, it's about 5.15, which leaves me the last 15 minutes to open the safe, put the money in, double-check the master water valve, and triple-check the breakers before locking up. But yesterday, a lady pulled up in an old rattling Buick at 5.10. I was counting the singles, and when I looked up, she rolled down her window. Sorry, we're closed, I yelled through the opening between the glass door and the little office space. That's my grotto when we're slow and nobody wants shiny cars. It's where I read and wonder what heaven looks like. She yelled back, please, sugar. My girl needs a cleaning real bad. I shoved the stack of singles in my pocket and walked toward her and her Buick. The hood was speckled with residue of rust and bird shit. Her stubby, dry fingers flew across the dusty maroon dashboard. Coffee-stained letters and what looked to be unopened bills fell to the floor of the passenger side. I leaned into her open window to say, I started closing out my cash box already, ma'am. Sorry. But then I smelled a weird combination of salami and rubbing alcohol. My eyes moved from her fingers to her hair, which was black and greasy, but some was gone. Portions of her scalp showed. Yeah, I guess she kind of does, I said, and turned away to look at the main operating panel that held the buttons for all the washes and waxes and shine options. Then I looked at the grimy hood of her Buick, the car she calls her girl. Then I looked at the hairless spots on her head. Please, sugar, she pleaded. I got a five here somewhere. She turned away and opened the glove compartment. Now it was ketchup packets and what looked like an old black and white photograph of a man in a soldier's uniform that fell to the floor, landing on top of the letters and bills. Why don't you just go ahead and take your foot off the brake, ma'am, and put it in neutral? I got this one today, I said. Free washes don't happen every day here. It's company policy to save the free washes for good customers, people who are regulars. I never saw this woman before. Not even once. She's definitely not a regular. She's very much irregular. And then the reality, and then the reality knocked me down. Her irregularity and all that went with it, the smell of salami, the bird shit, the old ketchup packets, her girl, the Buick, all of it, all of this, all of it suddenly mattered. I thought, what if? I imagined her sitting in a fancy swiveling beauty parlor chair, her legs crossed, a cup of tea in one hand, and maybe a slick magazine in the other, <clears throat> and her hair being styled in a shiny high beehive. I looked one more time at the soldier boy on the floor, then I pushed hard on the blue button labeled the works, and watched her and her girl fade into the last wash of the day. And that's it. So... Kathy, you keep mentioning your manuscript, and um, 
I believe your book is a collection of very, very short works. And when I say short, I, I mean very short. I thought that my <laughs> memoir was uh, a collection of short works, but it's nothing compared to how short your pieces can be. Um, so why don't you give us a little insight into the writing process for you? Do you um, edit like crazy or do you kind of build it word by word? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so actually, the two pieces that I just read, I mean, Closing Time is probably the longer of uh, of the chapters. I mean, there are a couple of chapters in the manuscript that are, you know, maybe three pages. But um, I would say the average chapter is a page, maybe one and a half, and some are even a paragraph. Um, mm-hmm. So that that really evolved. I mean, it really did evolve, and I think it evolved out of figuring out First of all, what I was doing. I mean, I, I didn't know I was starting a book when I did. Um, so that was the first thing. Um, and I'm learning that that's more and more common with writers than I had originally imagined. Right. And so the first thing was figuring out what I was doing. And then the second thing was figuring out um, that was, I guess, not figuring out, but maybe uh, giving myself permission to stop when I, I, with a piece, when I felt the natural um, ending was there. Um, it was also, as you both know, it's about what you have access to. And so um, this is a memoir. Um, I, actually, the, sub, the subtitle of the book is called Glimpses into a Jersey Girlhood. <laughs> so it's really very much, it was always kind of about the glimpses for me. Like I was mm-hmm. glimpsing back at things that I had access to in terms of the memories. Um, and I also feel very comfortable writing, talking, and accessing very small things. Um, So, yeah, and I talk to my students about that all the time. I love the word uh, glimpse that you use because, um, especially at our events, Courtney and I um, always tell writers that we're just getting a glimpse of your Mm -hmm. writing, of Mm -hmm. your style, of the story. Um, It's very much about glimpses, but I wonder if you can help us like suss out what is what is magical about just having a glimpse. Like what is what is the lure of of the glimpse and what does the audience get from just getting a glimpse that they don't get from like a long sort right. of um, Well, and I think there's two whole picture. two different types going on, right? Cuz often in our live events we have people who are reading a part of a story or a part of a longer right. essay whereas <laughs> Kathy you have this incredible talent of, of bringing to life these little vignettes that are fully formed memories or images or pictures that bring us right in to where you are mm-hmm. right there and then let us kind of fade out with you but yeah right, please, right. please explain yeah so that. I mean <laughs> I, you know, let me yeah I mean I, so okay so first of all I I'm, I just want to kind of go on the record of saying that obviously there's not there's there's I mean, there are a few things better, but it's pretty damn amazing and wonderful to be, like, steeped in a really long story that you're just in, you know, and that you're in and you're just, I mean, especially if you're on a beach and it's the summer and it's the weekend. I mean, obviously, I can add on and on. So a long story is, you know, a beautiful thing and can be a beautiful thing. Um, With that said, I do think that there's magic in the tiny, and um, I think it's the specificity a lot of times Mm -hmm. that can lure, can actually be the most engaging in, in, in certain settings. And I've seen this in my classroom with my students. I've seen it when I've shared my work. I've, I've seen it being on the, just listening to people's, you know, work. And so I, I feel like it's in all contexts. That's sort of where I tend to 
um, become, you know, most engaged. I, I tend to zone in to the tiny little details of things. Um, I actually teach a class uh, called The Tiny and the Ordinary because <laughs> cool. of that. Um, <laughs> and so I think that there's, you know, I think that the idea, and I also, I mean, I really do think that, and this actually I didn't think this before I finished my book, and that's what kind of got me into trouble because when I wasn't giving myself permission to be like, hey, this isn't the whole story, you know, this is part of the story, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just it, when we give ourselves permission to be, you know, to, to recognize that we're going to just offer, you know, a few glimpses of, of, of that part of your life mm-hmm. and, and just let me take you there. Like, let me, let's glance over together and then we'll leave and see what happens, see what you're left with. Um, there's something really cool about that. Um, and Absolutely. and so yeah, so I think that you know obviously as I said I love the being steeped in a in a beautiful long epic story. Um, I tend to write short, and I tend to also feel like I need to get in and get out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and to me too again going back to the senses thing, like I I start with a smell, and then I'll take you sure. to that smell, and then you know, and then we'll move to something else. Um, yeah, that first piece you read was a perfect example of, of a glimpse sort of um, serving to, even though it's a glimpse, it gives you a sense of like the whole picture. Because even though, you know, you're just sitting there wanting to be seen, not wanting to be seen at the same time, that is adolescence. Mm-hmm. Like, in an, exactly. That's just what it is yeah and the details are rich and unique to you this is this is something i love in a lot of your stories they're they're unique to your experience but so accessible totally to i totally sat yeah. in the park and imagined <laughs> that people were watching me that i was like on you know like the Truman show. on the swing you know just <laughs> listening to music it's yeah. like yeah well yeah. thank you so much kathy for being on the show with us I am so glad you. you reached out to me. Um, so I, I, just a shout out to what you do and great stuff. Um, I love what you guys do down there. So I hope to come visit again. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. Thanks, Absolutely. Kathy. Anytime. All right. Take it easy. Have a good weekend. You, you too. too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Up next, we move on to what is often the shortest form, uh, the poem. Gather. Gather. Gather, please. Um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. Continuing our show on short works, what could be shorter than a poem? What about those poems that get in and get out in just a few words, but leave you thinking or feeling for days afterward? That's what I experienced when I heard Paul Foteau read his poem Sway at one of our events. Let's listen. Sway. I am swaying an infant. I am picking glue fuzz from the floor. I am eating the last box brownie. I am lying on the open carpet. I am piling on the dirty socks. I am growing my beard. My daughter frowns the way I frown. My wife's donated lips. My brow is deep ridged. My potato chips are all dressed. I am a literal organ donor. I dodge police in my four-cylinder. They charge me for their services and say that I am sober, I say that I am fine. (laughs) 
That was Paul Fouteau reading at an Interloop event, and now Paul joins us in the studio. Welcome, Paul. Hi. Rachel, Courtney, how's it going? Great. How are you? Pretty good, you know. Uh, feeling loose. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we like it that way. Yeah. Chill. <laughs> uh, I just love that poem um, that we just heard, especially since I just had a child, and I feel like that's, yeah. that's what it must be about. Um, definitely. So, yeah, I definitely wrote it uh, really shortly after my daughter was born. Um, and uh, I, I guess it kind of grew out of thinking about, um, well, part of it is the enormity of being a parent all of a sudden and still being kind of a strange, messed up person, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the impulse behind it. Yeah, and I, I found um, the last couple months has been really surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when I catch myself in the mirror with the baby in my hand and I'm like, wait, who is that person? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm, I'm a mother? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, if or when you ever get used to that idea? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think that you do. I, I have yet to grow into my conception of fatherhood I, I think which I don't think happens uh, but I think fatherhood is like anything else where you have this conception of a role and then uh, oh my gosh I don't fit that and I, mm. I probably never will be what the idea was but the idea doesn't really exist anyway it's just Plato or something right absolutely <laughs> like everything in life yeah <laughs> so oh, we're getting real meta here today so guys. deep <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So you have a couple more poems to read for us? I do. Um, yeah. Uh, I brought a couple of short things. Oh, um, I like what you said about poems that make you think about stuff and then you think about stuff later. And and I think that's true. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, this is super dumb, uh, but we're going to go into <laughs> it. Um, and I think about this a lot when I think about poetry in general. And I think that a big part of like my particular poetic ethos is short things are preferable for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, this isn't exactly what Poe is talking about in The Poetic Principle, but he says something about it that it has resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And he goes, um, I need scarcely observe that a form deserves its title only inasmuch as it excites by elevating the soul. The value of the poem is in the ratio of this elevating excitement. But all excitements are, though a physical necessity, transient. The degree of excitement which would entitle a poem to be called at all, uh, to be so called at all, cannot be sustained throughout a composition of any great length. Mm. So he's talking there, like the essay is basically about the distinction between, I guess, the lyric poem and the epic poem. Right. And his contention is that if you read a poem for more than a half hour, it ceases to be a poem because. Uh, there are probably ups and downs. Uh, maybe there is, are moments where your spirit is elevated, um, but it goes back, and, and if it keeps going, it loses that moment, mm, yeah. and that moment's where the poem is. So, I yes, I feel like so much of that is when you have that just immediate first experience with it, and you're like, <gasps> kind of on the edge yeah. of your seat as you go mm-hmm. through, and then, yeah, we were talking yeah. about that a little bit um, when you when you commit to a longer work with a writer, mm-hmm. it's a different kind of it's just a totally different kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that longer works tend to contain those moments kind of in series, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that one of the things that the poem can do is affect a celebration of that moment and kind of embody it. Um, yeah, I really like the characterization of what a poem is is like a moment of spiritual elevation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, which I think is a complicated idea, though, because I don't think that 
all of the poems that I think are successful short poems are necessarily what I would classify as an elevation. Right. <laughs> uh, so I think that that's kind of a rule that's not really a rule, or I, I, I think it's fascinating that um, it, if, if a poem is supposed to be something that, that excites you, I think that a poem is also something that more broadly just kind of does something to you yeah. mm. and then leaves you alone to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it creates an echo effect. I like that. The, an echo effect. That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you give us an example? Um, sure. I, I want to start with some stuff that's with a thing that's not mine, I, I think. Yeah, and sure. I was using uh, the, this other stack of papers as a bookmark, and I took it out, and now everything is going to be terrible. <laughs> um, oh, domestic life. Yeah, this is uh, the, the transparency of the world. Uh, it's uh, a compilation of translations of Jean Follin by W.S. Merwin, which uh, has been my favorite poetry collection for a while, mm. just because it's the only, it's, it's, it was, it's the purest collection where I just sat in a basement and read the poems and ended up shouting them because I just was experiencing those moments over and over again. Mm. Uh, this is domestic life. Uh, The woman washing herself watched the team in harness. No thicket would have protected her skin's freshness, sudden death, and the whole of domestic life seemed bound up in the world's past. Vegetables that are scraped or peeled to nourish beautiful girls, stones swept a long time in the blonde summer, animals bled in broad day whose grating cry is lost in the light. And, and what I like about that is that it sort of engages with the mundane and does just enough of it to draw you in and sort of render you complacent, maybe. <laughs> but then there are moments of surprise and weirdness in the middle, and there's something sort of transcendent, I guess, at the there's something different, something that's not mundane at the end, the uh, whose grating cry is lost in the light, is something that you can read as just, oh, this is an effect of sunlight during the day or something mm-hmm. but it's also it's a it's a snapshot of something that seems uh transcendental or something and then it leaves you there and just and and and, y- and you have to figure out well where am i now which i think is what excites me about that stuff that's so interesting because i i feel like last month when we had vijay on um who's also a poet we were talking about um the juxtaposition of the mundane mm-hmm. and the almost supernatural the the something super Uh remarkable and that's kind of that juxtaposition or the space in between those two things is where a lot of the magic happens Mm -hmm. yeah it it also uh for me it had the same effect as you know the early genre paintings Mm -hmm. that that people were trying to do i feel like the same thing you have these very ordinary life scenes you know the woman with the pitcher in her hand or someone pulling the ox cart or whatever but there's always something a little bit off in those images yeah there's something and then and then and if it seems like it doesn't belong i think it's interesting to put some pressure on it Uh and to kind of uh, to th- can I share one more? I have another Please, thing yeah. I want to. So this is this is a poem uh, called Ephemera, which is also about um, uh, sort of parenthood in a way. And this is one of your works. Yeah, this okay. is me. Uh, this is um, from. Uh, this was published in a journal. The the editor uh, Smuse. It's a British journal. The editor Beth Summerford suggested that I remove a line, <laughs> and it was already super short. 
Um, and the line I wanted to keep, uh, but I think that it's a much stronger poem without it, which I guess speaks to the fact that um, sometimes it's better to just compress stuff and leave kind of extraneous stuff that takes you out of the moment out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So this is the first version first, and then I want to do the, the other one, uh, ephemera. My daughter's too small hat thinks that purpose is ephemeral, that two aphoristic poems suck. It curls inward from edge to crown, its fibers drinking glove box dust and little parts of bugs. <laughs> so that's the first version. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I, I wonder if you guys will notice why I think the second version is stronger. <laughs> um, uh, ephemera. My daughter's too small hat thinks that purpose is ephemeral. It curls inward from edge to crown, its fibers drinking glove box dust and little parts of bugs. It does sound way stronger, but I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> so here's why I think it is. So the line that I took out was uh, that two aphoristic poems mm-hmm. suck, which is like, I, don't, I think that's just me being snarky or giving some commentary on uh, it, it, it's me, I think, being too far into a, uh, like a concept. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm saying in a poem, uh, t- being too aphoristic is not a thing that you ought to do. Um, I guess the, 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 the cliche is show, don't tell or right, something. Right. Mm-hmm. And m- just try to get at that without saying it or being preachy or yeah. uh, overly explanatory. So if you take it out, then it just becomes... Um, the moment it just becomes the the impulse i think without the unnecessary commentary i think too it's funny because i'm torn on that because that line also is very much your voice as i've come to know it yeah um so yeah it takes you out of the poem a little bit Mm -hmm. but also it's just that one it's funny how one like the word suck right yeah like it's on a different level from all of the other words, it's a, it's poem. it's a very different register, yeah. For people, exactly. Mm-hmm. For, so it's less, I feel like, even the concept and the line, yeah. than just the attention that that one word inherently. It draws. does get attention, and I think that maybe there's a conversation to be had about whether it makes more sense, like, to have that voice in a sequence where there's context mm-hmm. for it. But if I think we're just talking about the poem as an object and uh, a snapshot of a moment, it's stronger without, mm-hmm. I, I guess, what I want to describe as ego. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't we can't get rid of that. Yeah. Always, it's <laughs> yeah. always stronger without sure. ego. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. Unless it's about ego. ego. <laughs> yeah, no, ego's important. Yeah. Uh, Ayn Rand or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Where are we now? Do we have time for yeah. maybe one more poem? Uh, sure. I could do that. Um, this is this is this is something. This is kind of different. This is uh, a prose poem, and I don't think that it's necessarily that good. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's, it's not the same sort of register. But I think that it's another sort of swing at trying to do. Um, here's maybe a moment of interiority, and then there's something that kind of uh, blows up at the end or or, or, or expands. But here is this oh can i plug mm-hmm. a, a book i'm gonna yes. plug the book yeah <laughs> so this is from uh epic which is uh coming out in uh july from finishing line press it's it's available for pre-order now uh, it's a little poetry chapbook um it's got a cover that i had someone draw and like and 
at the very least. Uh, uh, if anybody wanted to look at that and appreciate uh, the, a nice little charcoal drawing, that would be something good to do. Nice. Um, but here is uh, Wreck. <clears throat> People don't know what they're fucking doing. I could use a pull-up bar. Whenever I get really jazzed, I could do like 10 pull-ups and get really built <laughs> without all the shakes and gyms and personalities and impressing women and real sun tans. Every time I wreck a car, the wind blows bitter and there is a single crow up on the transformer box in a pale gray sky. I love that as compared to what you read before <laughs> because I feel like that is like an exercise of voice character the the author's character or the maybe whoever's speaking in the poem's sure, yeah. character um, whereas the the last poem that we heard was more like an image like so deep into yeah. experience whereas this is like here's character uh, char- mm-hmm. just character pure character yeah yeah I, 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 yeah sorry I mean and just to piggyback off of that for a second. Yeah, please. Like, I think that uh, one of the things that I'm interested in, and I don't know that I always get at it, because who, who does? Um, uh, but I think that uh, you see it in Sway, the first poem. Uh, I'm kind of interested in presenting character uh, that is complicated and probably uh, in several respects unattractive, <laughs> <laughs> but um, kind of finding ways to undermine that. Mm. But yeah you know that I was just gonna tell our listeners that Rachel was gesticulating and they couldn't really <laughs> t- <laughs> tell what she was trying to tell with her hands but we could um, <laughs> no but one of the one of the things I love every time I hear you read is the little challenges that challenges. you create sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no I, yeah you yeah, know I I, I, I I hear and understand yes and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I say that in an entirely like good way. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. One of the things that I think about uh, when I think about art in general is that um, if we're doing something that is not an authentic human product, mm-hmm. then uh, I don't know if we're doing all that we can. And I think that um, to the degree to which humans are messy and screwed up, um, I think that our art can be as well. On that note. Yeah, I think that's a perfect note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. It was so great to have you on the show. Thank you, Courtney. Rachel's been fantastic. Yeah. You guys are awesome, and uh, I'm honored to be asked to come in here. By Paul's book. Yeah, you know, if you want. It's yeah. a, it's available for pre-order. Where where can they find it? Um, so right now it's just on the publisher's website, which is fi- uh, Finishing Line Press. Uh, it's also liberally linked in my Twitter, which is <laughs> at f a u t e u p b, and also on my website and stuff like that. Fantastic! Congratulations on the book. Yeah. Thanks. And up next, we're going to continue the poetry theme for National Poetry Month with Tercets.
wrapping up our show on short works and we have had an amazing show so absolutely far, yeah thanks so much to paul fato and kathy curto for being on the show paul fato kathy curto hey <laughs> hey um but before we let you go we have some tercets to share with you courtney you want to tell us what a tercet is well, whether you say tercet or tercet, <laughs> I, I don't think it really matters. Is it tercet? Because that would be great because it sounds like terse, which is... It does, which, I mean, short, is short somewhat relevant. Terse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were yelling at me for popping my peas. Did I pop my peas? No, you slithered my your ass. <laughs> <laughs> my brother used to yell at me for doing that all the time. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Tangent. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a tercet or tercet is any three-line poem. Um, and last year at our three-year anniversary, we set up a little uh, poem writing booth uh, where several of our inner loop writers sat down and composed short poems on the spot for people who came. And it turned out to be awesome. so much fun. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, people were walking around with index cards with these amazing little... Some of them were haiku and some were just, you know, short three-liners. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really funny. I met someone recently um, uh, rock climbing. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. No, at the, at the indoor gym, it's like the new hippie thing or whatever. Of course like, it yeah, is. Right. It's very, okay. very hip and cool. It's fun. Um, but, you know, we had several friends in common. And then he actually uh, knows uh, Lucian, who is a member of our community, too, another poet. Mm-hmm. But um, we were Facebook friends or whatever. And one of his photos, I was looking at it, and I was like, it was a piece of paper with writing on it. And I was like, I recognize that handwriting. Turns out I had written him a tercet poem at our anniversary party. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, this DC is too small of a town. This is crazy. Awesome. Amazing. I love that. I love that these little cards are out there floating floating in the universe. (laughs) Me too. Well, let's, we should read a few of them. We do. We have a few here to read. And the first one I'm going to read is by none other than Paul Fateau, who's just in here. (laughs) Um, So it goes like this. Wait, what's it called? It's called Lines. Mm. Hey, Sophia, you're cool, and I like playing rummy, so I guess I'll stand in this smelly line. Yeah, that sounds like Paul. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obvi. <laughs> All, All right, right, hold let's on, let's see. see. Can, I, can I read one? Yeah, do it, do it. <laughs> I'm stealing Rachel's... Uh, <laughs> we took pictures of a bunch of these... Um, Hmm. It's hard to read some people's handwriting, actually. That's a good one, though. That one? The Sam yeah. one? For Sam? Nocturne. Remember? Um, <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> we figured out what that word was. <laughs> so this is called On New Orleans for Sam. I fall in and fall back out. All the cicadas singing a nocturne, singing nectar into my mouth. That one's pretty good. Yeah. That one's pretty good. It's, you know, springtime. It yeah. feels... And just to good. give you context, the people would walk up and they'd say, here's yeah. my name. And they could give the A poet any subject yes. to write to write on. Yeah. Um, this one's on politics. Mm. For, for, Apropos. For poor? I don't know. <laughs> for poor. <laughs> yes. Goes like this. I don't know shit about regulation, temperance. I leave my house, fall in line with everything. Mm. 
You like that? That's heavy. All right. I'm going to give you another one to read. Uh, okay. I think I wrote this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, Rachel's got that really beautiful, like, Catholic oh, we're school talking script. About this. <laughs> James was like, you're not teaching our daughter how to do cursive. I was like, yes, I am. They apparently don't teach it in school no, anymore. It's a lost art. And I said, it's going to be like calligraphy in Chinese, like Chinese calligraphy. Yeah. And I am going to teach my daughter and it's going to be like a, an art. I was, uh, my grandmother told me this. She was like, do you know they stopped teaching kids cursive? I was like, what? Mm-hmm. She's like, they can do individual letters, they but can't they're not allowed to anymore. connect them or something. Like it's a, what? What? Kids, my nieces, they're uh, 12. Yeah, they're 12. They can't read cursive. I um, My my own partner can barely read cursive. I, and yours is lovely. Oh, thank you. Anyway, sorry. Um, I take a lot of pride <laughs> in my cursive. <laughs> this is Ode to Natty Bo. We don't know who it's to, but we know who it's by. <laughs> Ode to Natty Bo. That short little man. Oh, yellow and sweet. Nope. Yellow and is it sweat? I'm saying how beautiful her <laughs> is it? I just can't read. Sweet esque, right? Sweat esque. Sweat esque. Like the taste is sweet. Yeah, because sweet is to ease. I can spell too. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna try this one more time. <clears throat> oh my Excuse God. me. Ode to Natty Bo. That short little man. Oh, yellow and sweat esque, like a big toe. <laughs> I don't know whose sweaty toes you're hanging out with, <laughs> but gross. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how much fun we have at our anniversary parties, which yes. is coming up this month. Yeah. Four years in the making, in a loop, what, what? It's crazy. It's been an amazing four years. It has a really incredible journey, journey and we uh, are so lucky to be surrounded by this community. Yeah, and here's to four more. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, that's our show. Join us next month for our show on veterans. Yes, we'll be with for with Memorial Day coming. We thought that would be a, a good theme for you all. Uh, to find out more about us or submit to read at our next event, please visit www.theinnerlooplit.com. The Inner Loop would like to thank Andrew Logan for our theme music and James Skinner for technical support. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or any other streaming site you use. Your review could be what inspires the next person to tune in or write in or whatever they do. Or just to love us. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe yourself so you never miss an episode. Happy writing. Right on, Litwits.